We're going to step into Narnia. You know Narnia, right? Okay, Cindy, thumbs up. Cindy likes Chronicles of Narnia. Lucy, backs up into the wardrobe. And she backs up and backs up and opens it up. And it's not the high-rise in Carbondale. <laughs> what is it? It's pine needles. And she steps into a magical world. She doesn't know it's magical. She steps in. There's a light post. There's snow. Okay, hold on a second. Now, I'm going to pause in the sermon here. Does this happen to anybody? This happens to me, okay? I'm, I'm the world this, it is. It does, this is not... It happen, It comes to me. Cords get stuck on everything. Did you see that? It happens to me. It just cords. They just come after me. No, yeah, that whole shirt thing. But the shirt's a little too tight for me to throw my hand up there. It was a small. It was risky. Uh, okay, back to Narnia. Back to Narnia. Lucy, Lucy's walking around and she sees what, what what's pretty typical, a light post. There's snow. I mean, that's typical in our world. But then all of a sudden there's this donkey, man, tomness, goat. What is this? Who, what, what's it called? It's a fawn. A fawn running through. And she's thinking, wait a second. This isn't right. What is this? It's this magical world that she had stumbled into, and she steps back out, and now it's just a wardrobe, and she can't get back in. But then one day, it happens again. Her family goes in there, her brothers and sisters, and back in this magical land. And here's the truth of the Scriptures. Every time we open up this Bible, we're stepping into some otherworldly stuff. There's a message of the world, and it's consistent. There are messages of religion that are same. There's a great uniformity in religion to religion. But then in Christianity, we have something, something otherworldly. And we step into that, and we look and we see colors we haven't seen before. We find joy that we've not been able to find before. We find refreshment. We find drink that we can't find anywhere else. We find truth that's not found anywhere else. So we step into Narnia this morning. And I love it because God so richly provides for us. We're going to look at confrontation between two mamas this morning. I mean, on Mother's Day, why not see some mama drama? And that's what we see in this passage in Genesis chapter 21. We're going to be in verse 8 down through 21. And we're going to look at two stories this morning as we step into Narnia. As we look at those colors and we see Thomas run by. And the goal, by the way, this morning of good preaching, and I, I, pray, I pray, is that it, it preaches to a level that Cohen... It's like, Dad, Mom, that was, that was a good sermon. I understood that. And Fisher, he says, you know what? I understood what he's talking about today. And the other kids in here, they're like, you know what? I'm able to see. And if there was a doctor in here, a doctor would be able to say, you know what? I understood that as well. It wasn't below me. And that's how the, the gospel um, comes to us. It comes to us in a way that kids can understand it. And then the scriptures come to us also in a way that, that teenagers understand, and then college students understand, and professors understand. It can be all in the same sermon. And that's amazing about this Narnia book called the Bible. Or we could say, uh, Narnia gets his ideas from the Bible. And Narnia is like dusty and cold compared to the kingdom of God. And Narnia is cold, but I mean cold even visually. The beauty and the wonder that we find in here is amazing. So we're going to look at a small story today in Genesis 21, and then we're going to look at the bigger story. And I want to call our attention to these two stories that we live. We live the story of our lives. We live in a, a life. We have a life. We have a history. We have a future. We have friends. We have relationships. We have inside jokes with people. We have a story that is our life. And if we could tell our story, we would all be intrigued to hear about when we met the Lord, about the 
difficulties in our life and the victories in our life and who we met back in 1971 or who we married in 2000, as in Jordan and I's case, 2010. And the story of love, we would love hearing each other's stories. We have a story with people and we have a story with God. We're going to look at people in the story today that have this relationship with each other and with God. They have a story. But it's not the whole story. And as we look at this, we've got to see that, it, again, it's parts of a whole. And we've been doing this. We've been doing this dance with the book of Genesis. We've been in Genesis. We've been in the New Testament. We've seen the great unity of the Bible as we've kind of done this dance from the new into the old, into the old, into the new. But that, the story of Adam and Eve, it's a story. And that, it's their story. But it's not the whole picture. It's not the big story. Noah and his family, they are a story in the scriptures, but it's not isolated. It's a part of a big story. It's singing, it's telling us something about the bigger story. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're not the point, but they're pointers to the point. And you and I, we're part of the story, but we're not the big story. We live our lives with God and with other people, but we're not the point. There's something bigger going on. And the whole idea is getting caught up into that bigger idea, not... Not trading the big story for our story and living as if we live the biggest story in the universe. There's something bigger going on than us. People matter, but make no mistake, people are a part of the whole. They're a part of something bigger. And God's purposes through generation to generation. That storm we had a few weeks ago, 11 inches of rain. Did you get woken up by the, the thunder and the lightning? Have you ever heard thunder and lightning like that before? just unreal. When the thunder and lightning hits, it, look, it, sh it didn't shake anybody else's house. Remember that? Kids, when you were sleeping, did it, did it wake you up? No. Kids are like, nope. Uh, it didn't. Right? It's like it just slept right through it. Ransom just slept right through it. I mean, just it slept right through it. And you wonder, how can you sleep? I mean, it shook the house. And I think about God's purposes like that. You can't, when, th when thunder hits, you can't stop thunder. There's no box that you can contain it in. There's no house that doesn't rumble. When that lightning strikes and that thunder goes forth, it's not being stopped until 15, 20 miles away or however long that, that sound wave stopped. The purposes of God are like this. They thunder through life after life, story after story, generation after generation, and they cannot be stopped. It just goes on and on and on through the smaller stories, telling us a story about the bigger story. So I want to consider these two storylines this morning. As we step up into Narnia, as we explore the angles of that country, we're going to see two stories. We see Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, Isaac, Ishmael. Okay, that's going to be the story we look at. But then, it's going to help us with this big idea, with the big story, just like it has in times before. So I'm praying that the sermon, praying that it dislodges us from, if we walk in this, the center of the universe, believing that my moment, my day, right now, this is the most important thing in the world. And it calls us into something more important, something bigger. It helps us, opens our eyes, it refreshes our mind, it restokes the fires of our heart uh, to realize that we're a part of something bigger. So we're going to look at the smaller story. So look at verse 8 and 9 of chapter 29. The child, which is Isaac, grew and was weaned. And Abraham, yeah, chapter 21, chapter 20. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. We'll pause right there. We'll get the whole whole story in just a second. 
want to give you some general info about kind of some timeline pieces. Uh, Dan and Andy helped me uh, look through this this week, and uh, we were able to find out, okay, Ishmael was 14 years older than Isaac. Uh, Isaac was weaned. He was two to four years old when he was weaned. Uh, stopped nursing. Ishmael at this time then was 17 to 18 years old. And if you remember, there was a time that Hagar and Ishmael, Hagar was pregnant with Ishmael, that she was booted, kicked to the curb by, by Sarah about 14 or about, about 16 to 18 years before. And if you remember, she had a run-in with Jesus, and she ended up writing this beautiful thing about the God who sees. God saw her and tells her to go back and submit to Sarah. And so for the last 17, 16 to 18 years, things have, have worked. I mean, they've made it work. The tension in the home somehow is resolved, and they've made it. Sarah accepted them back into the household, and then year after year, they just made it work. And Ishmael grew up in the household, and he became a young man. Still a boy, but a young man. In verse 8, we find that there was a great feast, and this day was a day of celebration. There was good food, and, and, and just good food has a way of making a day a good day. You know, if you're having good cuisine, deviled eggs... I mean, if you have deviled eggs, how can it be a bad day? You know? That's right. Right? I mean, I, I dreamed the recipe about deviled eggs one time. Right after Jordan and I got married, I had this dream. And the, the recipe was deviled eggs, okay, was the stuff with, with like green olives mixed in and then salting crackers on top, uh, the little yellowy, yolky stuff with the green olives. And I tried it once, and it, it really wasn't that great. But that's how much I like eggs. Food has a way of just making it a good day. And if you imagine um, the reality of the situation, they're just having a good time. It's a good, I mean, it's a big, I mean, it's a smorgasbord. However you say that word, I mean, it's like putting Golden Corral to shame. And, you know, the sizzler, if you remember back when there was a sizzler in Marion to shame. Just a good day. They were having a good time. And then all of a sudden, on the day that he was weaned, Ishmael, who's now a little bit older, begins to laugh. At, not with, laugh at Isaac. He mocks the child of promise. Now if you've got the ESV, it translates the word laughing, almost every other translation, and it makes a little comment here. Down below, we find out in Galatians chapter 4 that this laughter wasn't with, it was at. Okay? Now, it's one thing, and it is quite normal, to laugh with a two-year-old. You know, or even to laugh at, not in a mocking way, but two-year-olds say some funny things. You know? Ransom came out last week and he said, Dad, I pooped a huge man turd. Okay? That's so funny. He was like, yes, thank you. Way to go. Way to, way to go, buddy. You know? Let him say some funny things. It's one thing to laugh at a child or with a child, but it's quite another to mock a child. If you saw me mocking my son, like, <laughs> you dummy, you came out here and talked about poop. Um, you'd be like, what's wrong with you? Mocking a child? Wait, you, you weirdo? Well, this is the scene. Okay, this is the scene. Ishmael is mocking the child of promise. So there is a conflict between Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac didn't even know what was going on, probably. But Ishmael is here and he's mocking the boy, the child of promise. Conflict one. There's another conflict two. Conflict two. Another conflict is one plus one equals two. Conflict two, verse 10 and 11. So she said, speaking of Sarah, to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. Okay, 
Mama Bear comes out. Her son's being mocked. And Sarah's not having it. Mamas, you ever seen your son or your daughter get bullied a little bit? Or get made fun of? Or think something's really cool and one of their peers or a kid that's a little bit older than them doesn't think that's cool and it just crushes their little heart? What do you feel inside? Turmoil because you want to beat a kid up. <laughs> You're like, how dare you? You know? Like, you do it. That's my son. Leave him alone. You know, that sort of feel. Well, this is Sarah. And I want you to get the realness, the flesh and boneness of Sarah, Hagar, Abraham, the story of Isaac. And this, I mean, this happened. And this kind of stuff still happens today. Mama Bear comes out. Don't mess with mom if she's mad. You know? Like, she can protect her kid. That's it. She's done. Ishmael's got to go. Now, the conflict begins to go public because she calls out to Abraham. So, I mean, imagine you're by the punch bowl over here wondering why they serve this nasty punch. Every party has this nasty, gross punch. Why do people get that nasty, weird punch? Sprite and Sherbert mixed together or whatever? It's disgusting. So you're hitting here like, wonder what's going on. And, you know, I can't wait for the food to get here. But then all of a sudden, Sarah approaches Abraham and things go viral for the day. Everybody begins to look. The party gets a little bit more interesting. Uh, there's conflict number three because Sarah is now talking to Abraham and saying, get this woman out of here. And we're all like, <clears throat> just like the, you know, the person that doesn't have a filter, you know, they're in public and they don't have uh, good, what's it called? Social, not social skills, but uh, self-awareness. <laughs> this guy. And people are like, oh my gosh, did he just say that? Uh, so this is happening. So you look over, and conflict two is happening. And Sarah tells Abram, that's it, I'm done. The child of the flesh will not be an heir with the child of the promise. It will not happen. There's not going to be a conflict here. It's time for them to go. He's grown up. Get him out of here. Abraham's trouble. Ishmael's my boy. He's my son. And even though back then... There were some things that were a little bit different, like multiple wives, concubines, that whole thing. Never approved by God, but just culturally weird. Fortunately, things aren't like that today. Uh, wives, I think you'd probably think it's weird if your husband had a few concubines on the side. Uh, still yet, the son of Hagar, the servant girl, brings joy to his heart, apparently. And it brings discomfort to him that Sarah wants him to go. Verse 12 through 14, the story continues, the saga continues. God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he's your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread, a skin of water, gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, Along with the child, sent her away. She departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. God shows up and addresses Abram's, Abraham, excuse me, his fears. He tells him, don't be displeased. Do as she tells you. Remember just a few chapters before, Abraham was wrong to actually listen to his wife. Now God is telling him to listen to her. By the way, this is sidebar here. Um, husband, being the leader of your wife doesn't mean you don't listen. And God often will speak through our wives, men. Okay, And we who believe in 
biblical manhood and womanhood, we need to realize that over and over and over again, and you see it, and if you don't see it, you need to get slapped around a little bit, but your wife has got a lot of wisdom. In this instance, God said, you need to listen to her. Even though it sounds weird and it's off, I'm using this, and in this instance, Abraham, you need to listen to Sarah and send away this boy. So he does. He does. He listens to Sarah, shows up, and God tells him, I'm going to take care of Ishmael. I'm going to take care of Hagar. And so Abraham does obey, and he sends Hagar, the boy of 16 to 18, Ishmael, away. And then God, just like He did with Hagar many years before, shows up to take care of this servant girl. Verse 15, When the water of the skin was gone, she put the child, still referencing the child Abraham, who's not or uh, Ishmael, he was not fully grown yet, not married yet, still considered a child, under the, under the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him, a good way off, about a distance of a bow shot, for she said, Let me not look at the death of the child. And as she sat opposite, she lifted up her voice and she wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy. Hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God, verse 19, opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water, gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy. He grew up. He lived in the wilderness. became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran. His mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Hagar and Ishmael were at the point of death, apparently. And she walked with her boy, and he was doing bad, apparently, and sat the young boy down over here, and then went, walked about a bow shot off, and they were at that point of just desperation. Death. God, don't let me look at the death of my son. Can you imagine the dire situation that that would be? Kids, you ever been thirsty? Run around in the summertime? Thirsty, want some water, Cohen? When you're running around outside, you like getting a glass of water? Water tastes pretty good when you're running. Yeah? I'm going to take that as a yes. Okay, Fisher, Fisher's not to say water tastes good. Okay, imagine not having water, being thirsty, sweating, just needing a drink and not being able to have one. They're at the point of death. In verse 16, she cries out. And God has a way of Hagar, a way with Hagar. He has a way of providing and showing up for her. And even though she is a servant girl, cast away again. God will not cast her away. And He shows up in her moment of need. And notice, the need would have been there the day before. And the need would have been there the day before. And the need would have been there the day before. You think she was crying out those days? Most likely. You think the temptation could have been there to say, God is done with me. And I will look at the death of my son. He will not hear. If he's not heard up till now, why will he hear now? And yet she prays again. And apparently the boy prays, and God's ears hear, His eyes see, His heart goes forth, and He provides. Mamas, there's power in your prayers. I posted on our Facebook page early this morning a link to the power of praying mothers. And down through the history of the church, some of the godliest men and women accredit the faith that they have and what God has given them to faithfully pray mothers. Mamas, never stop praying for your kids. I mean, you don't, I don't have to tell you that. And you're at a point, if you're not yet, where you realize you are dependent upon the Lord with your kids. 
Because there comes a day when your kids grow or get older, or they start disobeying, um, you realize, boy, I, this is not up to me. It's just, there's some things here that are out of my control, and I need help. Look, never stop praying. Just pray. Come before the Lord in years. Sounds like your kid is a lost cause, and he or she's not a lost cause. There's a chance. I know some testimonies in here of some moms who prayed for years, and God finally broke through in their kid's life. Keep praying, pray, pray, pray. God heard Ishmael and Hagar's prayer, and God provided them for them as He said He would. In verse 20, God was with Hagar, and God was with Ishmael. And God made a great nation. It said God was with the boy. And even though the generations that followed were not of the greatest reputation, God was with them. And He was faithful to them. If this scene was kind of retold several years before, you'd get to sit around a campfire, and you'd get to hear their story of God's provision. And you'd sit there, say, Sarah, would you tell me about that time? Remember when you got real mad? got real mad at Hagar and Ishmael. Ishmael was mocking, mocking Isaac, the child of promise. And remember that? And Abraham, did you recount that story? I mean, was it, did you guys resolve that? How did, how did you work through that? Uh, it happened. Or Hagar. Hagar, will you tell me about... Sorry. Hagar, can you tell me about... Can you tell me about God providing... You know, when God provided, tell me the story. And did you ever get over your bitterness with, with Sarah? And it, it was just always kind of weird. Did you ever even see her again? Like, how did, what, how, what, how did the rest of your life plan? You would get to hear a story, a real story, of God providing for them and with them. And it was theirs. It was their walk with the Lord. And you have that as well. You know, in your life, even up to this point, if you were to reflect, somebody said, Lucas, man, tell me about how God's provided. And Lucas, God's provided for Lucas and Bree even recently. And, uh, you know, and you'd be able to tell, like, here's what God's up to. And you guys have your story with the Lord, and it's real. But here's the deal, it's part of something bigger here. You realize that? And just like in this story, there's something bigger going on, there's something bigger going on with your life as well. Okay? And although God has His eye on you and me, and it's personal, personal, you're adopted, son or daughter of God, you're not the point, and neither am I. And a big part of our story is telling people that we're not the point. God has provided in spite of, I could have done things so much better. I've made so many mistakes, but God was faithful. God was faithful. So there's a smaller story. So we're saying, because it's not the point, so we're saying that, that there is a story, and it's real, and it's intimate, and it, it comes with tears and celebration, days of feasting, days of famine. But then it's pointing us. It's pointing us. There's a larger, a bigger story. And Galatians chapter 4 gives us insight into Genesis chapter 21. And it's going to tell us of the big story. So I want you to turn from Genesis 21, verse 8 to 21, to Galatians chapter 4, verse 21 to 30. Galatians chapter 4. So we saw the smaller story. But the scriptures are going to help us, Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is going to shine a big spotlight on even a bigger story. And by the way, if we just stopped right there, isn't that story Narnia-like that we just went through? I mean, it's just so real and raw. And it's, it's, it's not, often we read the Bible, we think, you know, it's just beyond me, I can't get it, I can't understand it. Yes, you can. 
Have you ever felt that rising up, mom, of a son mocking your kid? That's real life stuff. Like, it's not hard. That's real stuff. And so, we step in and now we start to see, you know, again, I love the Narnia picture because it gives us her avatar or whatever. It tells us of something that's, that's just otherworldly and beautiful. And, and that's what the scriptures invite us into. Week in, week out. Morning in, morning out. Evening in, evening out. Whatever your time with the Lord is. So look at verse 21 through 30. And I'll just read this whole section and then we'll just make a few comments. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law. And this, if you know the book of Galatians, this is the battle. There are those there that are wanting to say, yeah, Jesus, we need you need Jesus. You need Jesus, yes. But you also have to adhere to the law. You need circumcision too. Jesus is important. You have to have Him. You can't be saved without Him. You can't get to God without Him. But you also, also need to be diligent to obey this law as well. Doesn't sound like that big of a deal. It sounds kind of right. Okay? So there's this tension back and forth that Paul is saying that's a false gospel. It may sound, there are some aspects that may sound right, but that, that message needs to be accursed. That message is still around today. It's even thriving in our hearts, and it's our daily drift, to be honest. Tell me you desire to be under the law. Do you listen to the law? For it's written to Abraham, who had two sons. Okay, here we go. We're getting called up into this bigger story. So kids, listen to this. For it's written, Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. But the son of the slave woman... The son of the slave was born according to the flesh. While the son of the free woman was born according or through promise. Verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. Here we go. It's amazing. These two women are two covenants. One's from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She's Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But Jerusalem above is free. And she is her mother, for it's written, Rejoice, O barren one, who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud all who are in who are not in labor. For the child of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Verse 28. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted, that's how we know it was mocking, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now also. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Now we're going to break this down. Two sons, Ishmael, Isaac. Assigned to them are several different things in this passage. Isaac represents this. Ishmael represents this. We're going to first look at Ishmael. What does Ishmael represent according to Galatians chapter 4? As we look at this, verse 23, we see that Ishmael was born to the flesh. Not supernatural, natural. You remember the plan? Hagar, Abraham, do your thing. We're going to get a child. That's how the line is going to go. That's how the seed is going to come. Sarah presented the idea. Abraham went for it. It was natural. It was explainable. It was, yes, it happened through natural processes. If you do those certain things, uh, the stork will come. A baby will show up. Natural, not supernatural. Verse 24, from Mount Sinai. So produces offspring of slavery to Sinai. The law. Slavery to the law. So Ishmael represents, in this passage, slavery to the law. Slavery to 
the law. The law promises life. Do this and live. In fact, it produces death. Because we see that we can't. Slavery to the law. You ever felt the bondage of the law? The law is good and right and holy. But before you're a Christian, or even after becoming a Christian, and realizing, let's say, let's keep it in the theme of motherhood, you know there's more things you're supposed to be doing as a mom? It's all over the internet. I mean, everything's supposed to be perfect. The house is supposed to be clean. Laundry's supposed to be done. You're supposed to work. You're supposed to also... Uh, you know, teach your kids and, you know, train them up in the Lord. You're also supposed to give them organic food for heaven's sakes. Never bring them to McDonald's. You know, but again, what kid doesn't like chicken nuggets? You know, it's like hard to not do that. But kind of feel like a subtle guilt. Should I not give them McDonald's or not? So there, there's stuff that gets thrown onto you. And, and just the, the do's and don't do's, those sorts of things can be this, just, just there's a heaviness that comes with that. So when Jesus said, hey, hey, my burden's light. My burden's light. Come to me, all who labor, heavy laden. You want to find some rest? Because people are tired. And mamas, you're not just tired physically. If there's this spiritual, spiritual heaviness that can come on as well. That's what the law does. It's this slavery. Verse 29, here's what it says about Ishmael. It kind of tags another meaning. It says that he persecutes the one born of the Spirit opposes any notion of being born of the Spirit. Okay, Any notion of something being freely given and not earned. Okay, This whole Ishmael, this whole law thing, it's going to be opposed. It's going to be an opposition of anything being promised from God. Anything being free from God. Nothing's free, Ishmael says. Nothing's free. If you want something from God, you've got to earn it. If you want His blessing and favor, if you want His foot to stop tapping by golly, you've got to show some discipline. It opposes, opposes, there's opposition, persecutes the one born of the Spirit, persecutes the idea of true freedom and grace. You ever find anybody who says, yeah, grace, that's not, but, grace, but, you said that? Yeah, grace, but if you give people grace, my gosh, you've got to make sure they know that if they don't keep up with what they're supposed to do, they're into the bargain. What's the incentive? You heard that before? You said that before? What's the incentive? Don't talk to me about free grace. The whole currency of the world is earned. So the whole idea of Ishmael is in opposition to this truth. And it can be spiritually packaged. And then all of a sudden, admiration for other religious systems can come. Look how disciplined they are. I wish we were as disciplined as that. That's bondage. <laughs> That's bondage. Blowing yourself up because you believe that's the only way that you'll get to heaven is not freedom and discipline. It is fear and demonic. It's bondage. Not freedom. It's not discipline. It's not to be admired. It's to be pitied. And yet how often in Christian circles do we say things like, well, I just wish to I admire that sort of discipline. That is not true discipline. That's bondage. So even with spiritual disciplines or a Bible reading plan. Okay? Here's how the spirit of Ishmael comes to a Bible reading plan. If you're a really Christian, you get through the Bible in a year. So you try to get through the Bible in a year, and you're like, this is impossible. 
Or you do get through the year and it's like, did I read the Bible this year? <laughs> the spirit of Ishmael, it opposes. But what about Isaac? In the passage, there are some things ascribed to Isaac. Isaac, verse 23, is born through promise, supernaturally. In verse 26, Sarah was free, not a slave, born to a free mother. Then we are free. She is our mother also, it says. Verse 28, we are like Isaac, children of promise. Verse 30, it says to Isaac, cast out, or about this whole idea, cast out the slave woman and her son. So the implication, cast out any notion of naturalism. Any notion of legalism. Any notion of getting to God through law or performance. Cast it out. Cast out any notion that says you have to earn things from God. Cast it out. Throw it out. You don't need it. It will haunt you. It will uh, approach you. It will oppose you. Cast out any notion of, I got this living. Or I'm a Christian because of me. That somehow, I earned this thing. Or I came into this thing through figuring it out. I heard of a preacher who went on a, 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 about a 30 minute rant preaching about how he became a Christian because he figured it out. And his peers in his studies, the scholastic peers that he had, as they were going through their studies, they couldn't figure it out, and he did. We need to cast that nonsense out. Cast that nonsense out. We never approach God by earning our way or figuring Him out. We only get to God through revelation. Only get to God through God turning the light bulb on, opening our eyes, softening our heart, wooing us and drawing us in. We never get to God by earning. Ever. And this is the whole idea, this is the larger story here that the scriptures scream to us. The world, even in Christian circles, it's just this conditional living of earning things from God and trying to perform and feeling the guilt. It will seep into your life, it will come into your life, it's going to oppose you, and you're going to drift towards it again, and you're going to be reminded, how, I know the gospel for years by God's grace, and how did I stumble into this again this week? And mom guilt that comes, or father guilt that comes. Or fill in the blank. I, I need to do more. 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 I'm not doing enough. God is unhappy with me. Yeah, I know that I'm forgiven, but God is really not happy with me. There's opposition. These two worldviews collide because one's natural and one's Narnia. And those who see people who believe in this whole Narnia grace stuff, free forgiveness, free grace. Stand back and scoff to this day. You kidding me? You tell them that message? And they'll run from God and just put grace in their back pocket and say, Grace, I got grace. I got, I'm saved. Just mock. It's grace, folks. You're a bunch of weirdos. You just don't get it like I do. I've got discipline. I'm doing my part. What are you talking about Jesus doing the whole thing? I'm doing my part. Jesus does his part, I'll do my part. I scratch his back, he scratched my back. To this day, it's in opposition. The message of Christianity, we talked about it before, is so different. Other, oh my gosh. Um, so different. Because the world says you can, Christianity says you can't. The enemy says, oh yes you can, you got this. And the same while, he'll condemn you. You're all twisted up. 
Only Christianity says you can't, and there's great freedom in that because I'm coming for people who can't. There's freedom. So we have a law and gospel analogy. We have a battle. We have two ideas at war. This bigger idea, this bigger story, it's on the page, every page of the Bible. It's the Narnia we walk in. It's the glorious good news of Jesus. And we see this law of gospel. Isaac and Ishmael, they represent two ways that are in battle in the Christian life. And you'll face this battle this week, I promise you. The law makes sense. If I have a good Tuesday, God's pleased with me. If I have a bad Wednesday, God's not pleased with me. That makes sense. Does it not? It's a natural order of things. It's just how the world works if I do perform well at work and I get a pat on the back. You know, if Hank has a great day and Dan comes up to him, and Hank, man, you kicked some butt and took some names today. Way to go. Okay? Okay? If he works well, he gets rewarded. And we take that in our life with the Lord because that, I mean, that's what we're inundated with every single day. If we perform badly, then what? Well, the result is you don't get a pat on the back. You may get a boot to the rear. What is this? It's, the law makes sense. It's the way the world operates. The gospel is in some sense nonsense. What? It's not based on your performance. It's not about how you've done today. It's not about if you blew, blew it this week. There's a consistent grace that comes your way. There's love. And even the discipline the Lord brings is not out of anger. It's out of love. What is this? These two ways are not. The flesh... And the enemy are hell-bent on getting you to drift towards law and performance. Just be a child of the slave woman. Just wants you to entice you to the way of Ishmael. To bring you in. To get you living a life of judgment of you versus everybody else. Hell-bent. But what are we commanded to do in Galatians chapter 4? Cast out the slave woman and her son. That was telling a true story, a bigger story in Genesis chapter 21. Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. We are free. Fight to believe the grace that is so freely given. Mamas, you have grown kids and you wish you would have done it differently. Some of those decisions may haunt you today. You're forgiven. God is pleased with you. He's not upset with you. He's not mad at you. You are forgiven. You're forgiven. The fear of what lies ahead, you'll be forgiven. If you are in Christ, past, present, future, you are forgiven. So what do we do? We gladly, wow, I want to love Him. I want to obey Him. Thank you if that's true. What if that's true? Men, you're forgiven. It's free. Fight to believe that. Fight to believe it because the world and the message of every religion in the world is going to say that is a lie. It's not true. Get to work. Get to work. Perform. Succeed. Separate yourself from everybody else. God said, no, no. I separated you from myself. You're mine. And I've called you myself. And I've forgiven you. I know your name. And while the rat race continues, you're safe in my arms. Friends, that is good news. 
And that's why on Mother's Day we don't talk about mothers. If I just talked about you, you just get some more things thrown in your back. But if you hear this, you hear this, there's freedom for you. Really, there's freedom for you. It's good news. Let's pray.